So we've been in this series uh, called uh, the, the Quest, and the focus has been aligning our lives with God. And there's, as I mentioned before, there's this progression with our series. What was the first title, if you guys remember? What if, yes, yes, what if. Talk about what if we uh, became uh, great Christians for God, good followers. What if all the things that we're pursuing this year actually uh, came you know, to, um, to fruition? What would that look like? And then lastly, we talk about what? Why me? So we're saying, why would God choose me concerning the things that I'm pursuing? Why would God choose me into being the place that I'm at? And those are things that we look at. And so today we're focusing on hearing the whisper. Because if we are saying that God has given us um, desires, and if we're praying about things in our lives, then we have to now sing, how can I hear God concerning the things that I believe he's calling me to do? And so there's this progression again, what if, why me? And now how can I hear God since I'm the person he's actually calling? And today we'll be in the Old Testament again. Um, I'm going to be looking at the story of Elijah. And it's a fascinating story. And we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. And for my key verses, I'll be looking at verses 11 and 12. You guys feel like reading? Great. Can we all stand to read? 1 Kings Chapter 19, verses 11 through 12. Let's read together. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. And a great powerful wind tore the mountain to pass, shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray, God, that your word will come alive in our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, last week, we also spoke about uh, this idea of appreciation. We talk about appreciation. It's not about if, whether you like something. It's about whether you can recognize or understand what is happening. And so we say, like we had music. Remember what music we played last week? Remember the two, the two step? What we play? Funk, Funk and jazz. yes, with some jazz. And we didn't ask you if you liked it, but could you recognize what was being played? And so, when you read a passage like this, First Kings nineteen eleven to twelve, uh, you can't really appreciate this text until you understand how it got to this text. So I have to go back a little bit, not too far, but in First Kings uh, seventeen. Um, Elijah prophesied that there would be uh, this drought because the people, they weren't living up to their standards. They were living in idolatry. So as a consequence for how they were living, God said there's going to be this drought. That, that's in 1 Kings um, 17. And so now we get into 1 Kings 18. In case you're wondering, Elijah in Hebrew is, is what? <laughs> Eliahu, and which means my God is Yahweh, just in case you're wondering, and you'll see why. So, so again, Elijah is this prophet. Um, he works miracles. So he's a very important leader in the history of Israel. And so he has this strong conviction regarding his faith. 
1 Kings 18, it describes this dramatic encounter between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Um, and this took place on Mount Carmel. And Baal is really the worship of idolatry. It says, from morning till noon. You have to understand biblical history. When they talk about the morning, this would have taken place sometime between 9 and 10, which is when they would offer the first sacrifice. But think back to Acts 2 when they had the day of Pentecost, and Peter declared that we aren't drunk, as you would think, because only 9 in the morning. What would happen is that from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., they would pray. Then from 9 to 10, they would offer the first sacrifice, and, they would, and then they would pray to their God individually between that time until noontime, which is why you find that Elijah, he didn't interrupt them at all. He allowed them to pray until noontime because that was the culture. Offered their first sacrifice between 9 and 10, and now they're calling on this God of Baal. Answer us, answer us, because that's inside the time frame. That's the time window. So now, verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling to Tahiti. Well, not there, but are traveling. That's what it says. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So the prophets of Baal, they went first. Despite their fervent cry, they going through crying, no response. Their God remains silent. So Elijah said, my turn. Get to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, now just understand when he said the evening sacrifice. So the first sacrifice usually happened between 9 and 10. The second sacrifice is this weird terminology. They would say it's half after the second hour afternoon. What time is that? 2.30. So the first thing is 2.30, they'll say it's half past the second hour afternoon. Just 2.30. So 2.30 p.m., they're going to start their next sacrifice, and then they'll do the same thing. They'll worship until the evening prayer at 6 p.m., which is usually the evening song. So verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah told, uh, took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descend uh, from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seals of seed. And seals is pretty much just a unit of measure. That's all it really, really means. So it's a measure of seed. And so he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, watch this now, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it, again, do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, 
Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Notice the reason for the miracle. Elijah wants the people to turn from idolatry back to God, which means that even with the miracles in your life, it's never about you. It's about God getting the glory and even encouraging others concerning their faith. And that's what he prayed about. Verse, in, in verse 37, he's praying about this thing, saying that they could turn their hearts back again. Now, after Elijah prayed, you see in verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and the burn of the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Think about that. I mean, they poured four jars of water on all these things, three different times. And now you're seeing God responding and even burning stones. I mean, who wouldn't want to serve a God like that, right? Now, the miraculous event leads the people to announce their allegiance to the God of Israel, and they acknowledge his supremacy. Uh, this same chapter ends um, with the, the breaking of the drought, where Elijah prayed for rain, and then there was this small cloud that came to signal that the end of the drought was here. Uh, this powerful demonstration um, of God's you know, authority that you're seeing here but also Elijah's uh, role as a prophet, it renews the people's faith, and it shows that if the, the consequences, the consequences for not following God was this drought, now you're serving God and you're seeing rain. It's no longer a drought. So the events of 1 Kings 18, it highlights themes of faith, obedience, but this unmistakable power of the God of Israel. Now we get to 1 Kings 19. We learn about Jezebel's role immediately following this event on Mount Carmel. Despite Elijah's victory over the prophets of Baal, and even seeing what God did, Jezebel the queen, she's this loyal Baal worshiper. She responds with anger and threats after hearing what had happened. 1 Kings 19, 1-3. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So Jezebel wants to avenge the death of the, of the prophets of Baal. She issues this direct threat against Elijah's life, swearing by the gods that she will make him suffer just as how they suffered. Elijah runs away because now he is overwhelmed by fear. He's hoping to hear God in this new place. 
The text never said that God stopped speaking to him. The text never said that God stopped working miracles. Elijah is threatened and ran away. So let me help you, especially the ones who are always on the edge waiting to run from something. Psalm 46, verse 1. What does it say? God is a very present help in trouble. If God is a very present help in trouble, where are you running to? If you remove yourself from trouble, there's no opportunity for God to rescue you because you've already rescued yourself. The verse didn't make sense for a long time until I realized that this same principle is common in the marketplace. Now, I'm not saying that the marketplace uses scripture for everything, but I'm saying it's common in the marketplace. I consider PG&E, the company that provides our electricity. I have a slide here. Look what it says at the top. Customer outreach process before disconnect. Now, I won't ask you if you've ever received this, but look what it says here. We understand these are difficult financial times, and we urge our customers to call us as soon as they know they will have trouble paying their bills. It says, call us if you know you will have trouble, right? So customers are encouraged to enroll in an assistance program at any time in the process. Now, leave aside there for a minute. The programs that PG&E directly offer do not pay your bills. They provide a pathway to avoid this connection, which, is, which requires you to pay something, which is why they said, call us if you know that you will be in trouble, right? Not only that, but most of the organizations that they partner with will only pay your bill after you receive the disconnection notice. So although you can't pay the bill, they don't consider you to be in trouble until you receive that 48-hour notice. It's also the same thing with an eviction notice. You won't get rental assistance until you receive that three-day notice. What they're saying is that you can only activate specific resources when you're in imminent trouble, right? Which leads me to this thought. While human assistance may require a triggering event, God's love and care for us is perpetual. God is there whether we're facing imminent trouble or experiencing moments of calmness. These resources say, no, uh, I know you can't pay your bill, but you're not in trouble until it's about to go off. But God is there with us regardless. Good days, bad days. Elijah desires God's help, but he's running away, and he's not yet in imminent trouble. What's causing you to feel the urge to run away? 
and not just physically running away, but also emotionally, or even checking out or giving up. What's causing you to feel that way? You're once filled with hope, joy, optimism, but now you're filled with negativity or hopelessness. See, at the start of each year, people make changes in their lives. But are all these changes aligned with God, or are they things that you see as a threat and you're simply afraid? Afraid of the unknown. Look at what this fear did to Elijah, 1 Kings 19.48. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, if I'm being fair, I understand Elijah's position. Here's why. After all he had done to help turn people's mind from idolatry back to God, going on Mount Carmel, now the king, the, the queen wants, the, wants him dead. It's one of those things where we say, if it's not one thing, it's another. It's like, when will it end? When will God give me a break? It's like you're saying, I just want one good year. One good semester, one good month. You know what? I'll even settle for one good day. You guys ever felt like that before? Where things are just not going and you're like, can I just get one moment? And so a fear of the unknown is real. And, and when you've experienced traumatic events in your life, a threat can seem overwhelming. That's how he felt. Because to the average person, 2024 is just another year. But what you see is a repeat of 2023. Like, again? I mean, last year started off this way, and, and you're like, 2024 is going to be a great year, and all of a sudden you're like, the same thing again? Seriously? So the average person says, it's just another year. Like, no, it's not just another year. This is a repeat of the last thing. So Elijah said, in verse 4, I am no better than my father's. See, that's an important phrase for us. And here's why. Because despite the victory over the prophets of Baal, Elijah found himself in a situation where fear and trauma of Jezebel's hostility, it took a toll on his mental and emotional well-being. Elijah might have felt uh, this sense of a continuous struggle with, you know, with, the, with, with the, people, the prophets. I mean, you've seen how 
you know, Moses went through struggles and, and all these prophecies seen before him. And he's like, they all went through something and still had this going on. I'm just like my, like my forefathers. Because after all I've done, now we have Jezebel's trying to kill me. Feeling overwhelmed. And so, what's the point of serving God if I can't get a break? That's how many people believe. And I understand. I didn't say I agree. I understand. Because if serving God is supposed to make my life better, why do I feel like I'm constantly struggling with these things? So Elijah is at a point where he's isolated, physically exhausted, and now he's there and just thinking about all the things that's behind him. He's praying, saying, God, just take me now. He's at a breaking point. This is the natural human experience. We all get to a breaking point. At one point, he displayed courage and faith, but now he's overwhelmed by the weight of his circumstances. Fear of the unknown is real. So Elijah's prayer reminds us that even people with strong faith can wrestle with emotional struggles and moments of hopelessness. It can happen to anyone. So his isolation is, is, is there. It's real for him. And this is one of the reasons why we're always encouraging people, get into a connect group. Because we know that there are people who are waiting to pray with you, do life with you. But we also have pastors that's here willing to, to pray with you and talk with you. I was just telling the, some, of the, some of the leaders, my door is always open. Just come in the office. You want to talk? Just come right in. My cell phone is posted on the door. Call me. I'll pray with you. I'll show up if you need me. But following uh, Elijah's prayer, God didn't condemn Elijah for being vulnerable. God provided sustenance, rest, and guidance. So he's saying, Lord, the, my circumstance is too great. Take me now. That's what he said. And he went to sleep. I'm going to die here. And the angel says, ah, nope. Get up. Provided a cake that's baked and cold. Now, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be scared or what. If I'm sleeping, all of a sudden, I just see a cake just right there. And the angel is saying, eat. <laughs> now I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm really okay. I'm probably hallucinating, right? <laughs> and then it says after he had the cake, what happened? He went back to sleep. And the angel like, no, 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 get, get up. Eat some more because you're going to walk for 40 days and 40 nights. And that cake must be some good cake. Last, for 40 days? <laughs> Must be some good cake. I don't know which food can last me for 40 days. When I eat, give me about an hour, I'm hungry again. But we serve a compassionate God who's there and saying, even in your moments of weakness, he's there to bring us up. God is saying, I'm not going to allow you to end your life. I'm going to strengthen you and restore you. I want you to have hope again. And that's a reminder for all of us that even in our lowest place, God can restore hope and purpose to our lives. 
God is always sending someone to remind us that if we simply trust him, he will take care of us. So you can trust God with your future. In fact, just, just tell someone, you can trust God with the future. Tell them, you can trust God with the future. Say it with some, some more conviction. You can trust God with your future. Yes. Yes. Yes, I, I don't know what you envisioned for 2024, and I don't know what you experienced in 2023. But one thing I do know is that we can trust God with our future. God has a track record of caring for his people because he loves us. It's in this state of emotional distress and even this spiritual seeking that we find ourselves in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and 12. See, I was coming back to it. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still small voice. In the aftermath of Elijah's flight, God uses these dramatic elements of wind, earthquake, and fire. These are things you find in scriptures to suggest the presence of God. So I'm here to tell you that God uses the dramatic events in our lives to get our attention, and then he whispers. Gets our attention, and then he whispers. And sometimes it's difficult to imagine God working on our behalf when these dramatic things happen. Uh, the contrast between the dramatic events and the whisper, it highlights the, the depth of God's communication. It's a personal an intimate encounter reminding Elijah that God is present not only in the extraordinary, but also in the quiet and gentle moments. The God who meets us in our vulnerability speaks in ways that's beyond uh, the spectacular. So the encounter on Mount um, Horeb becomes a turning point for Elijah. It offers this reassurance to him. So how are we to navigate challenging seasons of our lives? Well, number one, we can learn to embrace stillness in God's presence. Learn to embrace stillness in God's presence. I want to understand the dynamics or even this dramatic unfolding of God. Uh, now, here's this picture of Mount Carmel. Now, of course, it's a little bit more developed. They didn't have roads back then like that. Notice the greenery. A lot of greenery. This is, this is, where, they, which is where they actually had this contest, which they had the sacrifice and burns. This is actually where they had. Now, now picture Elijah standing on Mount Horeb. It's a picture of Mount Horeb. Now, when you look at this picture, there's not much to see unless you can say, oh, I can see the sun. I mean, you can't even really see a good sunset. Because this, this place is a desert. You're literally going through the desert and then climbing this mount. But one of the most iconic events associated with Mount Horeb 
is the burning bush encounter between God and Moses. I mean, you look at that, you're like, there's a bush somewhere there? So the burning bush actually took place at Mount Horeb. According to Exodus 3, Moses was shepherding his father-in-law's flock on, mount, on this mountain when he saw a burning bush not consumed by fire. So God spoke to Moses from this bush and commissioned him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Mount Horeb is also where God gave the Ten Commandments, which is, of course, in Exodus 19 to 20. So it's safe to suggest that Elijah, seeking guidance from God, he believed that by visiting this sacred mountain would bring him closer to God. When I look at this and I'm like, why would I want to go there to see God? Why wouldn't I go back to Mount Carmel where it's nice and green? But he understood history. Isn't it interesting that God would choose to bring the greatest victories in our lives when we're at our lowest moments. Dry place, the season when we feel like there's no hope, God would choose to bring victory in our lives. That's what he did. The reason why God does that is because he's our very present help in trouble. Elijah was looking for a divine encounter with God. And in the rush of our daily lives, it's easy for us to overlook the importance of stillness. God's voice often whispers in the quiet moments, the pauses between our prayer requests, and even the stillness of our hearts. So Elijah, he witnessed a great wind, an earthquake, and a fire, but God wasn't in any of those things. Instead, God showed up in a still, small voice. A still, small voice captured his attention. Can you hear God's whisper as he tries to get your attention? Do you allow yourself to be still enough to hear God whisper, even in the chaos of your lives? This teaches us that God's voice is not always elaborate, it's gentle, and he's inviting us to draw closer to him. So we have to always create this intentional space for quiet reflection. Stop being so busy. Tell someone, stop being so busy. Yes, stop, stop being so busy, yes, yes. I know life might demand a lot on us, but stop being so busy. Create some space, some space to be quiet, to hear God speak to you. The next point is this. Learn to trust God's timing and direction. So Elijah's journey uh, to, to the stillness, it was, he has triumph and trial. But here it is. It's a reminder that God's guidance, it unfolds in his perfect timing and direction. Uh, patience becomes the lens through which we discern God's plans. Patience. You know, that's one of the challenges when laying the foundation, even for a church like this in a transient city. 
you know, some people often say to me, Pastor Garfield, I know the future of Emerge is bright. I know. I can see the different things. But I need this thing in my life right now. And so I can't wait. In fact, I had one of these conversations recently. They said, oh, I know it's going to be great, but I can't wait. I, 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 I need this in my life right now. But you know, last year at this time, you guys remember, it might seem like so far away, but last year at this time, we had to meet in two different locations. Remember that? And our college ministry was meeting upstairs from a pizza restaurant. But today, we have more space than we had before. Now, I have to give a major shout out to JP and the college team. Because this past Friday, we hosted an inter-college fellowship right here in this room. And here's, here's a picture. See, that picture doesn't even tell the full story of how students from different fellowships gathered right here to worship and build community. Last year, this time, we couldn't have hosted it. Where we're going to grab a room, an office space. So we have to learn to trust God's timing and direction. Patience is an expression of trust because we're surrendering our desires to God. There are things we want to move fast, but we're surrendering our desires. God, here's what I want right now. Right now. It's not a commercial. It's my money and I want it now. You see that commercial? Oh, you guys don't watch TV. Sorry, I do. But there's some things we want in our lives right now. But patience says, I'm going to surrender my desire to God. That's how transformation takes place. Elijah's time on Mount Horeb was transformative. He found reassurance, renewed purpose, and received specific instructions from God. This renewal came in God's timing, providing Elijah with the clarity that he needed. And so that helped him with his next phase. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. To everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Just as there is a season for planting and harvesting, there's a divine timetable of God. And those things we'll see in God's timing that will unfold in our lives. Every season in your life has a purpose in God's grand design. Final point, learn to cultivate a responsive and obedient heart. Elijah's response to God's voice was pivotal. Positioned at the entrance of the cave, he was ready to respond to God's divine call. Now to understand, when he went to Mount Horeb, he went into a cave, but then he went out hoping to hear God speak. Even when things don't look good in your life, Talk about this all the time. Finding that small sliver of hope to say, God, things look chaotic right now, but I'm going to stand close enough because I expect you to respond. Elijah was in a cave and saying, I want to hear God speak. Jezebel's trying to kill me. I'm running for my life. 
I wanted to die, but because you are there to comfort me, I'm not going to speak. And it's like, I'm going to stay close to hear God speak. It's easy for us to say things are so bad. So just, <laughs> um, just reminded of this, you know, of this uh, I won't call the person's name, but, but, the, the, you know, but the person was telling me, um, maybe you guys haven't done this, maybe, too, maybe some of you guys are young, but maybe the older ones would. But the person was telling me that when they have a breakup you know, from a relationship, they'll play more heartbreak songs. You guys ever done that before? I'm seeing hands go up, what? And I'm like, I don't understand. Why would I want to hear heartbreak songs in a breakup? I want songs to, to lift me up out of the funk, right? <laughs> like, no, no, no. I need to hear the songs so I can cry and cry with friends. And after I go through the process, then I can feel strong. No, 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 no. I need songs to uplift me right away, right away. So, so Elijah is saying, things are not going right, but well, I'm going to stay close to hear God. I don't want something to, to put me any lower. So I hope you guys don't do that again. Stop, stop, listen, no. <laughs> if it doesn't work well, don't, don't sit there and with, with heartbreak songs. No. Let me just cry and eat ice cream until, no, get over, no, no. Sheesh. I promise you I do have a heart, but. <laughs> but it says Elijah was positioned to hear God. So even in your lowest moments, try to put yourself in a position so you can actually hear God speak. In fact, when you're feeling low, that's the best time to go to connect group. Because I guarantee somebody in that group have some excitement. And not just that, people there to pray with you. It's not the time to say, oh man, I'm feeling so low. I'm just going to stay home from church. What are you doing? Like, get around the believers, the body of Christ that can pray with you to uplift you. I mean, I don't know, I mean, there's, I guarantee, even in a connect group, there are people like Swen, Peter, they always say, you want, you want to go to lunch? There's somebody around that's going to say, let's go out. So, so our discernment is not passive. It requires a responsive and obedient heart. This discernment requires humility. So we're still saying that even in my lowest state, I'm still going to humble myself to know that I serve a God who is going to respond and take me out of wherever I'm at. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, if you're not going to do what the word says, you're deceiving yourself. You can't say you're part of the body of Christ, and when you're feeling low, you isolate yourself. You're deceiving yourself. So if that's you, stop deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word. So a responsive heart is one that hears and acts upon it. So if you know that God can restore you, then when things don't look right, you're saying, God, your words say you can restore me, and I'm trusting your word. So as we go through this year, adjust your plans based on God's guidance, recognizing the blessings that flow from a serenity heart. Bad words, please come forward. As we step into this new year, 
Let the story of Elijah at Mount Horeb be a source of encouragement. May we find comfort in stillness, trust in God's timing, and cultivate hearts that are responsive and obedient to his guidance. Let us be a year where our relationship with God deepens and his voice becomes a compass that directs our step. Now, I don't know, let me get this out of the way. I don't know where you are with your walk. I don't know how this year has been. And as I've been reflecting on my own life, I mean, things are not perfect. But I serve a perfect God. Perfect, holy, righteous, and faithful God. And so even when things don't look the way that I thought it would look even in this month, I don't give up. I'm only in January. I mean, there's still more time for God to do whatever he needs to do. I need to trust in God's timing. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you might be saying, well, let me get my life together. After I get my life together, then I'll learn how to trust God. No, that's not how it works. It takes faith. It takes faith to say, you know what, God? I don't know what I'm doing. But I believe that if I give my heart over to you, because that's what your words say, that you will guide me. So God, I need guidance. And for all of us, we can say the same thing. It's saying, I have plans this year for my life. I have plans for this church. But at the end of the day, God, I'm going to give everything over to you. Because that's me being humble and saying, I know what I'm thinking, but you know best. God knows best for all of our lives. Let's just trust God with our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Lord God, we've seen the example with Elijah. And I pray, God, that this will be a season for us to trust you. Even when things don't look the way we want them to look, we don't give up hope, God. We continue to trust you knowing that you're going to respond to us. So Lord God, in faith, we come to you believing that you will do the things that's necessary in our lives. Help us, God, to trust in your timing. I pray, God, for those who don't have a relationship with you, that they'll come to know that they don't have to be perfect because you are perfect. And as they give their lives over to you, then you will be there to walk them through this life. We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>